But that biking part, that wasn't fun because you might have gone on the bike for the first couple of hundred or 200 meters, but every, almost everybody needed to, to walk there at a certain point. You, you, can, you cannot click off because if you have click pedals, you will slide down. So it's, it's very, it's just surviving, surviving and riding up that hill. Hello, and welcome to the July 14th, 2023 edition of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. I finally got back to racing of a sort about 10 days ago now, when on the 4th of July, I participated in a local four-mile running race along with my son. I had no real idea what to expect in terms of what kind of pace I could actually run, but I decided that I'd go out and give it my best, despite not really having done any speed work whatsoever this year. I'm happy to report that the race went pretty well. I managed a 6.45 pace for the four miles, but I continue to be amazed at how despite the fact that I've been doing this for as long as I have, and that I counsel my own athletes on race strategy all the time, I go out and make the same mistake every single time. In every one of these running races, the gun goes off, and I take off at way too fast a pace. I know this immediately. I tell myself, slow down, and then I start the internal dialogue. Well, this doesn't actually feel so bad, I can probably hold it. Right, you haven't said that every single time before. How's it going to feel three three miles from now, I wonder? Good point. Let's slow it down. Checks watch. Oh look, we're running the same pace. Well, we're like 200 meters further down the road, and we still feel pretty good, right? This will continue until, of course, the wheels inevitably fall off and the whole negative split thing, well, poof, that just goes out the window. One day, I hope, I will figure out how to practice what I preach. How many of you go through the same kind of thing? It is incredibly frustrating, and I don't know why, but it's always with running. I can say with some satisfaction, though, that I did get to bring to bear a lesson that I learned a few years ago, and it's a great example of how important it is to take all of these opportunities, and by opportunities I mean every race that we do, to take these opportunities as learning for future races. A few years ago, you see, I was in the last couple of kilometers of a duathlon, and I was in the lead. And I don't mean that I was leading my age group, I actually mean I was leading the entire race. Now, this was very much uncharted territory for me, and I was running very much scared. I was convinced that someone was going to come and run me down, so I was putting everything I had into staying away. About 500 meters from the finish, I cramped up, and in the time it took for me to stretch things out and get going again, I lost my lead and I ended up finishing in fourth. I was none too happy about this, as you might imagine. And afterwards, as I was talking to my coach, he told me, when you're in the lead, you don't run scared. You hold your pace. Never panic. Never put it all out there. The guys behind you, they need to be giving everything they have to try and reel you in. Then, if they happen to catch you, that's when you surge. They won't be able to respond because they've been giving it all and you've been staying within yourself. So you're going to crush their dreams and leave them behind. Well, that day, I felt pretty bad. And I wondered if I'd ever get the chance to put that lesson learned into practice. Well, today it came to pass, although, of course, I wasn't leading this race. 
Still, with a few hundred meters left in the run, I could hear that someone was coming from behind, but I didn't really know who. I held my pace, and I could hear the footsteps growing louder and louder as I got closer and closer to the finish line. And as this person came up on my shoulder, I took a glance over and saw that very clearly this was someone in my age group. And so just at that moment, just as he was about to pass me, I took off in a sprint because we only had a couple of, what, probably 150 meters left at that point. And sure enough, there was nothing that he could do to respond. He was already giving everything he had to try and catch me. So I beat him in this case. And to me, and I hope for you, it's a great reminder to always look for the lessons in every race that we do and file them away to be able to use them later on. Now, for those of you who might be keeping track, my son remains a contender to the family title, but it's not going to be long. As he's focused himself on training and preparation for his first season of cross-country running in high school, he's been doing a ton of run training and has gotten much, much faster. He only finished 20 seconds behind me today, and he's not even 14 years old. I'm guessing by the end of the year, he's going to leave me in his dust, and that is very much a day that I'm looking forward to. Though I got to admit, it's going to feel a tiny bit weird. On the show today, the medical mailbag is back, featuring a conversation between myself and my friend Juliet Hawkman. In this episode, we're going to talk about the importance of exercise for women, especially as they enter their menopause. Recent research suggests that exercise in these years has really important protective effects for cardiovascular health, and we're even joined by one of the researchers whose work we're going to discuss. After that, I'm going to bring you a conversation that I had with Joachim Batstra. Now, this is a name that I know you will not have heard of before, but it's a conversation that I also know you're going to enjoy. A little while ago, my family went for a vacation on the tiny island of Seba, one of the Dutch Antilles in the Caribbean. While we were there, we were all very impressed by the island's beauty, its spectacular scuba diving, and its very crazy topography. You see, Seba, being a volcanic island, it lurches straight up from the ocean and just shoots straight away to 3,000 feet. There's a total of one road that runs the length of the island and climbs upwards with gradients often that exceed 20%. And that brings me back to Yoakum, who, it turns out, is the race director for several events that take place on Seba, including the annual Seba Triathlon. Well, I speak with him about this crazy race and what it's like for him and his friends to train for their first 70.3 while living on such a small patch of land, and that's coming up shortly. Before all of that, I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters once again, who have decided that for about the price of a cup of coffee, they could sign up to support this program and in doing so get access to bonus interviews and other segments that come out about every month. Right now, I have a new episode out just for those supporters, featuring a conversation with strength and triathlon coach Jen Rulon. In addition, for North American subscribers at the $10 per month level of support, I have a special thank you gift in the form of a pretty cool Boko Tridoc podcast running hat. So visit my Patreon site today at patreon.com forward slash Tridoc podcast and become a supporter so that you too can get access and maybe this cool gift as well. And of course, as always, thanks in advance just for considering. It's time for the Medical Mailbag, that part of the program, when I'm joined by my friend, my colleague, Coach Juliet Hockman, former world champion, well, current world champion. She has, isn't former just yet at the 70.3 Sprint Distance Championships and, of course, former Olympian in rowing. Juliet, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Good to be here. 
Juliet, uh, we've talked a lot about women's health issues on this program in the past. And uh, as it turns out, we're going to be introducing uh, another topic again here today. Uh, I know we uh, recently discussed uh, some issues related to perimenopausal and postmenopausal health. Well, I wanted to have a discussion about how exercise can have a big impact on postmenopausal women's health here today. And the reason for that was I came across uh, a really interesting paper in the, the medical literature that was just uh, recently published on why regular exercise is so important. Do you have any uh, understanding or thoughts about how exercise mitigates or changes health in women as they age? Well, I only have anecdotal evidence, of course, from myself as an athlete, as well as all the athletes that we work with in our, in our group. And so it's sort of a no brainer to me <laughs> that exercise would be really helpful as we age for a multitude of reasons, but I don't know the, the science behind it. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about this because I know I'm going to have a bunch of questions. I'm 56 years old. I'm right in the middle of it. And a lot of my athletes are in the same position. So I'm looking forward to hearing more. Well, the major issue, of course, has to do with the sex hormones and the absence of estrogen after menopause leads to a lot of changes physiologically and those physiologic changes lead to a lot of health issues. Well, I'm really excited to say that the paper that I found, The Time Is Now, Regular Exercise Maintains Vascular Health in Aging Women, happens to be written by several women, but one of whom is somebody that we've previously had on this podcast, Kate Wickham, who is a postgraduate student in Denmark. And she was unavailable today, but she referred to me, the lead author of the paper, who is Andrea tamariz Elliman, and she is joining us on the program today. Andrea, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. So, Andrea, we wanted to talk to you about this really excellent review paper that uh, you guys have published. Congratulations on that, by the way. And we have a lot of questions about it because I know that my listeners will be really interested. Could you give us kind of a concise summary of what estrogen does for premenopausal women and what its absence does that leads to health issues after the menopause? Okay, yes, thank you. And it's actually quite a complex question you asked me here because estrogen is really present in all tissues in the body and it has multiple effects. But looking at our review that we published and on the vascular effects that we know, we see that you could say that estrogen has this cardioprotective effect uh, on the body. And we know that women uh, pre the menopausal transition, they get a less degree of cardiovascular diseases than uh, compared to HMAT men, for example. But then we see that this impairment in the vascular function, it happens, it accelerates after the menopausal transition, you could say. So suddenly the women actually gets a higher risk of cardiovascular disease uh, when compared to HMAT men. So we see that this estrogen is cardioprotective, but how the effects are actually, yeah, modulated or you could say is not that well established yet. Now, you mentioned how when you age match women and men before the menopause, men are at higher risk for heart disease. And then when you age match them after menopause, that women actually their risk increases. And my understanding is that risk increases pretty quickly. 
Do we have a sense of what the contributors are? Like I know being in the medical field, I know that we see a lot more increase in thromboembolic disease or pulmonary embolisms and clot-related diseases. Do we also see an increase in just straight-up heart problems like heart attacks? We we don't see the increase as quickly, I would say, in, in, in for example, heart attacks or as per se, but w- one of the things that we studied uh, where you can see it quite like precisely is we, we have a measurement of how the vascular function is. So so how does the vessels actually dilate and constrict in response to different uh, stimuli, which is, of course, a measurement of how well is the system working at a current state because we know that all of the vessels has ho- constant uh, tone, you could say, so they always dilate and constrict to, to keep up the blood pressure. So so what we know there, we can actually see that just for, for four years of difference between pre- and postmenopausal women, we see a decrease, a quite a marked decrease in how the vascular vessels actually work and respond. So that would be one of the things. But we also see that, for example, incidences of higher blood pressures, hypertension, how that increases following the menopausal transition. So all of these first markers, you could say, of uh, cardiovascular health, we see an increase already there. You would also see it, for, for example, on cholesterol markers and such. So really across the board, markers are changing. You're seeing a change in vascular tone. So as blood vessels tend to be constricted more and therefore increase blood pressure at the microvascular level. You're also seeing an increased hardening of the larger arteries, which makes blood mm-hmm. pressure rise. And then at the same time, you're seeing a, a change in platelet function. That's what I re- referred to before with the thromboembolic disease. Platelets mm-hmm. tend to become more sticky. They also tend to be less sensitive to the things that would cause them to be inhibited. And this results in more thromboembolic disease. So all of these things combined tend to be quite pronounced. Now, if women are taking hormone replacement therapy, does this undo some of these processes? Yeah, well, what we have seen at least is that estrogen then, yeah, you keep on the estrogen levels and therefore you keep uh, the protection. But you have this timing hypothesis. I don't know if uh, maybe you, Jeffrey, has come across that, but that you see that you have to initiate your treatment of estrogen quite like in the transition of the menopause uh, or shortly after transitioning into postmenopause because we actually see that even though you give the same uh, stuff, like the same... Uh, hormone you could say so you give estrogen uh, either way but if you started on a later time point after the menopausal transition whereas maybe people would start it because that would maybe be when you get some of these symptoms uh, but then you actually see that you can have opposite effect of estrogen also so we also see that the way estrogen works uh, is actually quite complex and there is like this timing hypothesis within estrogen uh, supplementation you could say but yes if you as it is for now, if you start initiate the treatment early, you, you get these positive effects. So it's almost as if once the once you get past a certain threshold, you can't undo the vascular effects. But as long as you get estrogen replacement early in the menopause or pretty soon after menopause, then you can undo those effects. But if you wait too long, then the effects are done. You'll get some of the other benefits. You'll get the bone health benefits. You'll, you'll get some other benefits, but you will, you'll be, you'll sort of miss the boat on the vascular effects and those effects can't be undone. 
Yeah, at least if you look also at like uh, one of the causes that we also know causes these uh, uh, impairments in the vascular system is that you get increased inflammation. Um, so, and that we know that if you then give estrogen, it has anti-inflammatory effects. But then actually some beginning studies have shown that if you then initiate the treatment too late, then you actually from the same estrogen get a pro-inflammatory response instead. Huh. So you increase the inflammation. And that would also, to go back to the, for example, the platelets or the reactivity there, we also know that this will be negatively affected if you have increased inflammation, for example, and you'll also have, yeah, increased of these oxidative stress, you could say. Uh, yeah. So so given very that- very straightforward. The, I was going to say, given that the onset of menopause is, <laughs> is such a mystery, like women don't really know exactly when it starts. It's not like there's a day one of menopause. It kind of creeps up on you. How do practitioners- and women know when to start this, the, you know, hormone replacement therapy or some other estrogen replacement treatment so that they get that window right, not too early, not too late. We're in one of the projects in my PhD, uh, as I'm doing right now, is actually where we want to recruit women just from before they enter menopause and then follow them in a longitudinal study mm-hmm. across the menopausal transition and also for multiple years afterwards. So it's a quite a large study. Uh, that I'm starting off now. Um, and then we sit with actually this whole issue of uh, knowing where the women are in terms of the menopausal transition. So these have to be pre, but they have to be as close as you can get to the menopausal transition. So we don't have to wait too long to get the measurements again. And actually, this is quite uh, tricky and something that is not uh, as straightforward as one might uh, think. Uh, so what you could do is that we, and what we do, you look at, uh, of course, we can uh, scan the women. So you scan the or- ovaries to see how is the volume of them and how many follicles do they have. So we try to see an estimate of how many, uh, how the egg reserves, and that would be one way. And then we also look into the ho- hormones. So we can look at, of course, uh, estradiol in the blood but also some of the other hormones that we know are driving the menstrual cycle. So, for example, FSH, which is the follicle-stimulating hormone. And then one of the hormones that we're also measuring now in a very sensitive matter is uh, the hormone AMH, which is anti-mulosic hormone, which we know decreases as you get closer to the menopausal transition. So those are some of the things that also what you would use in the clinic now to sort of predict where women are, but to actually determine which factors are the ones driving whether, like which age you actually enter menopause at is, is still something that we hope also this study can contribute to, to actually give evidence behind. Because, yeah, but one of the things that is known is, of course, uh, for example, smoking and such, that will uh, make the uh, menopause transition earlier. So you get, uh, go into the transition earlier. But all of these factors really determining at what age you enter it, and also how long the transition will be. Those are some of the questions that are not really that well uh, established uh, at the moment. Now, your paper did a great job, and you've done a nice job of uh, summarizing how menopause affects the cardiovascular system. You also do a lot of discussion in the paper about how exercise counteracts some of those changes. So tell us about the importance of exercise for perimenopausal and postmenopausal women. Yes. Yeah, of course, because that's then what uh, yeah we have been looking at and also several other others. And what we think is quite is interesting is actually that we see that 
physical uh, activity or exercise can actually activate some of the same pathways you could say as estrogen so one thought and what we also suggested in the paper and have summarized is that you could see if exercises are uh, how could a substitute or like instead of estrogen uh, to use that and what we see there is that if you have women we have we have had this previous study where we had pre versus post and there were only these four years in between so quite well age matched and what we could see yeah from the beginning of the study was that the vascular function was lower in the postmenopausal women but then when we trained them for eight weeks on a, a bike and a high interval aerobic training three times a week then we can actually level up the postmenopausal women to a premenopausal level so that was uh, we were quite uh, yeah happy with that result you could say that we could actually lift them back up to the premenopausal level others have also studied this and have had mixed effects and what we sort of see now is that it appears as though you have to train them quite a bit so it has to be high intense and like a vigorous exercise you could say some of the previous studies have been more of moderate intensity so brisk walking and such and they don't see the same effects as as we have seen so that could be one thing but then what we also see and what we have looked at in other studies it is that as you move away from the menopausal transition, so become post and also then over, like you could say, like maybe five years or more away from the menopausal transition, it appears as though it's it's harder to get these effects, the positive effects on the vascular system. Mm-hmm. So again, as we also see with the estrogen supplementation, you have the timing hypotheses, you could say. We actually also see that you would see what we could call an exercise timing hypothesis. So you're also in, in one way would get greater benefits if you initiate training early on in the transition and, and or just after becoming post, as opposed to five or 10 years after the, the transition. Yeah, and, and what happens there, like, so in those years, why we see the same thing is is not really established yet. And, and it's something that we also hope in this longitudinal study that we can come closer to seeing, like, when is it that these switches sort of, yeah, change so that we don't get the same effects um, anymore. But yeah, we can see that in general, you can both improve uh, blood pressures, for example, or you can improve the platelet uh, reactivities. Those studies are still quite novel, but uh, those are also what we are looking more into. We can also improve the vascular function, both on the macro level and also on the micro level. And we've also looked into, for example, the capillaries, which we know are important, of course, for oxygen delivery. And and then all of these different aspects, we see sort of the same um, thing that yeah, initiating it early gives greater effects, you could say, than initiating it later on in the menopausal uh, transition. You've talked a little bit about using fitness training to return women to premenopausal levels of vascular health and possibly other uh, markers for health as well. What about women who come into menopause in the first place being active athletes? Do they, as their estrogen production uh, decreases, do they also see a similar level of decline for all of these markers? Or are they somehow held at a higher level than women who weren't fit coming into it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And also one that we have uh, 
looked at in some of the previous work, but one work looked at uh, yeah different levels of physical activity. So we had very highly trained women who trained, I think it was above four, uh, four hours per week, but also high intense uh, training. And then we have a moderate group and then we had a, a sedentary group. And what we could see there was that, and these were late postmenopausal women. So they were quite far away from the menopausal transition. So in the older group, you could say. Uh, and what we saw was that these highly, highly trained women, they had a, a beneficial effect. And you can actually see that, that they had maintained a higher vascular function. They also had better uh, blood pressures, better of all of these health markers. But to separate the moderate group from the sedentary group was actually quite hard. So even though we, we could see them separated by the physical activity levels quite clear, seeing it on the markers were, were more difficult. And that was also a bit of a puzzle because it, it sort of fits some of these theories that as you get older maybe and you move away from the menopausal transition, some uh, impairments is still happening, whether or not you train and you're, at least you have to train a lot right, to man maintain. Uh, one of the things that we also show in, in the review paper, for example, is that we looked, we tried to combine some of these old data that we have. Uh, so all of these different uh, studies that we have uh, been publishing uh, to see how, for example, the VU to max, so the, you could say the maximal aerobic uh, capacity that we measure, how that is declining with age. And you could see quite clear that it, it has a decline with aging. But what we see is that when we have these highly trained women, they actually sort of maintain also over over the time of, of aging. So that was a, a quite clear image. You could say that, that they can maintain uh, some of the, the markers to one degree, but something happens also still and you... And of course, you still have the aging effect, right? That will, will uh, you won't be able, I think, to fully uh, mitigate all of the impairments that you see there, as we also see in men. But, but to some degree, we do see it. Is there a time at which it's almost too late to start? Is there a time at which, for example, the damage is done to your cardiovascular system and therefore starting exercise might actually be dangerous? Oh, that's a, that's a tricky question, I would say. I think also from the review paper, one of the things that we summarize is also just that it appears as though it's, it's easier, you could say, or uh, more beneficial to maintain vascular health than having to re regenerate it, you could say. So that would be one thing, that it's easier if you maintain it at a higher level than you have to regain what's lost. But yeah, it, it is as though like one of the more recent studies that we haven't published uh, yet, but that we are looking into is that we see this sort of like the the group of, you could say, 65 years old, that they sort of, they drive a lot of these things. So so I've been um, working on a, a, a larger cohort study where we looked at women from the age of eight, 18, 20 to 70, and tried to look uh, at markers in there, for example, in, in, in their muscle fibers. And, and also then combine it to these health markers that we had of, of blood pressures and so forth. And what we see here is that this, the oldest group you could see that were from 65 to 70, they are, they are quite different even from the 60 to the uh, 65 years old uh, women. So uh, in that way, if you ask me, uh, without now, I, I, we haven't concluded everything yet on that, but it is something that we are looking into is whether or not this age there is actually maybe too too late, you could say, to actually see these effects. And I know that 
from speaking with colleagues that that's also some of the things that you would see in aging men. Maybe not as clear, but you also see that these, like when you become 65, 70, you start to have some of the impairments of aging, making it harder to actually achieve these improvements from uh, training. But whether or not it's dangerous to train, I think we have shown in a lot of studies also with groups of patients that you can almost train everybody, but you have to, of course, be aware of the group that you are going to train. To train, And so you have to modify training, of course, because one thing is actually that we see that, for example, this platelet and also, as we mentioned in the paper, this fractal dimension, so a measurement of how the blood clot um, is like in density and in strength, you could say, we actually see that that when you have a, a vigorous exercise, so if you do a VO to max testing, for example, or maximal test, and you have a blood sample before and after, we then see that this fractal dimension is actually uh, higher after the exercise. So we see that the blood, you could say, is more active and it, it makes the uh, the blood clot a lot more dense. And and that would be if you you have patients that are in in danger of getting strokes and so forth, that's something that you have to take into account, that you actually make the blood a little bit more active just after your your exercise. Uh, and that, and goes, a, that goes to this notion that high-intensity exercise can potentially be dangerous for people who are mm -hmm. at risk for stroke and heart attack. And we see that, unfortunately, in races where we continue to have issues with people being pulled out of the swim after suffering some kind of cardiac event. Sometimes that's because of a dysrhythmia, but sometimes that is due to an acute cardiac event that may be related to what you're talking about. These are older individuals who get their start increasing their cardiovascular demand very acutely. And if their blood clots are forming in a more active manner, that can mm -hmm. lead to trouble. I think that your conclusion in your paper was really excellent. And I, I just want to read it right here. You basically said, in conclusion, the time to begin regular physical activity is now. A physically active lifestyle is imperative for minimizing declines in vascular health across the lifespan. And lifelong physically active older women display the best trajectory for vascular health. I really think that sums it up very nicely. Juliette, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask? I don't think so. I mean, it sounds like, you know, particularly since a large portion of your listening audience, Jeff, is multi-sport athletes, endurance athletes, keep doing what you're doing. Enter menopause, fit, stay fit, stay strong all it, the way through for all of these reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it's one more one more kind of sheaf of evidence that is on top of everything else that we've talked about, about the importance, especially for women, of continuing to exercise through the menopause into postmenopausal years and how important it is to contributing to ongoing health. Andrea Tamariz-Elman, I can't thank you enough for joining us for the medical mailbag on this particular episode. It was really, really helpful to have you here and very insightful to have the actual author of a paper that we were going to discuss uh, join us for the conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And Juliet, of course, as always, very appreciate having you around for these segments. If you have a question that you'd like for us to consider on this segment of the program, you can send it in 
You can email me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com, or you can submit it on the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group. You can uh, answer the three very simple questions on that group in order to gain entry. And once you're in, please feel free to join the conversation, submit your questions there, and we would be happy to take a look at them and consider them for inclusion on this segment in the podcast in the future. Once again, Juliet, Andrea, I can't thank you enough for being here both. And we will see Juliet again on another episode of the Medical mailbag and the next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. My guest on the podcast today is someone that I know you have never heard of before, but all the same, someone who I know you will enjoy hearing from and learning about. I met Joachim Batstra when I was on a recent family vacation to the tiny Dutch island of Seba in the Eastern Caribbean. Joachim started doing triathlons in 2020. In that same year, he started to organize sport events on Seba, including the annual Seba Triathlon, Sea to Scenery, the Busy Bee 5K, 10K by Shea, and the Seba four-day hike. He and a few others from Seba have signed up for an Ironman 70.3 in Panama in February 2024. For now, he's taking some time to join me here on the TriDoc Podcast. Welcome, Joachim. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me. Well, let's start first by telling people a little bit about Seba, because I know every time I mention that I went there, I'm always greeted by the same answer, which is, where is Seba? So describe the island for my listeners. Tell us where it is and a little bit about it. Yeah, so I always call it a, a small big rock in the middle of the ocean. That's literally how it looks like. It's a 13 uh, square kilometer uh, big island. And it has 2,000 uh, people uh, living there on, on Seba. And it's always sunny. It is very hilly. There's almost no flat part. Even the, the, the landing zone for the, for the planes, it's, 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 not, it's not even flat. So uh, there's still a little incline in there. And it's, it's very welcoming. There's a lot, of, a lot of things to do. You can uh, go hiking. You can go running, uh, swimming, uh, biking. Yeah, so... Small islands, but lots of things to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I was quite amazed when we went there. It is 13 square kilometers equals five square miles for people listening. And it is a volcanic island, one of the volcanic islands of the Caribbean. It's actually not far from Montserrat, another one of the volcanic islands. And so basically it just rears straight up from the ocean. So there are no beaches. It's just ocean. And then this giant, like you said, rock that just comes straight up from the ocean. There is a single road that connects the <laughs> airport to Fort Bay at the other side of the island. Much of the island is actually protected as a national park. And that national park offers five different microclimates or micro ecosystems. And yep. it's really incredible because the island goes from the ocean up to a height of 3,000 meters, the highest point in the Netherlands, because Seba is a Dutch protectorate and remains one of the Dutch Caribbean. Really a fascinating place. We had an amazing time there. So much to do above water, but also a spectacular diving. And that was part of the reason we went. A lot of great diving there. So how did you end up there and what do you do on the island? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. My, my former girlfriend, she lived here. She worked here. And back in the days, I was still in, in the Netherlands. I worked at an event organization. And 
as my contract was ending, I thought, hey, just why why don't just make the make the shift and go to Seba? I didn't like the long distance relationship that much, so I thought let's just give it a try and see what we're gonna do there. Then I started at the bakery, the Busy Bee Bakery, hence the Busy Bee 5K as well. And after a couple of years working there and doing some some side jobs here and there, I wanted to do something different, and I started the, the Busy Bee 5K. And now that evolved in organizing more events with different organizations and, and also the, the Seba Triathlon, of course. Well, and that's what I want to talk about next. And that's what got me interested in having you on the podcast is the Seba Triathlon. Now, I, yeah. I'm sure nobody has heard about this. The reason I've heard about it is because I have a friend who lives on the island and has told me about it. And I started looking into it a little bit. How in the world did you come up with the idea for a Seba triathlon on an island that's only five square miles, that has one road, that has really <laughs> nothing flat? At what point did you think, hey, this would be a great place for a triathlon? Well, to be very honest, the, the triathlon already existed. So the first Seba triathlon was actually already held, I think, because I did, I tried to, did some, to do some research in the early 2000s. So, so some... Where 2002 is what we're guessing is when the first Seba triathlon was held. And you mentioned about that one road that goes from, from uh, Cove Bay to, to Fort Bay, but there's also another end and that is Wells Bay roads and Wells Bay roads. Surprisingly enough, sometimes there is a beach there and that is very occasionally. Usually it's just rocks and a very steep cliff, of course, but sometimes there's a beach and Back in the days when the Sabre Triathlon was held, there used to be a swim there, like a triangle in, in the water, about 700 meters, 800 meters. And then you would go up. But Wells Bay, have you have you been there on Wells Bay Road? Have you? No, no, we didn't get to Wells Bay, uh, but I, I had heard about the disappearing beach. Yeah. So so Wells Bay Road, you know Fort Bay Road, right? You You go up, I think... I'm not really sure how many percent, how many percentage that is in, in Hill. According to the sign, it's 23%. Yeah, I don't believe it. I think it's more. <laughs> but okay. So, so Wells Bay Road is cheaper than Fort Bay Road. And that is where the triathlon used to start. Well, the bike section used to start there. And then you went go all the way through the bottom and go up to the top of Mountain Road, go and run through the national park. And then you would end up in Hell's Gate, hence the name, the Hell's Gate Triathlon. But that biking part, that wasn't fun because it was, you, you, you might have gone on the bike for the first couple of hundred or 200 meters, but every, almost everybody needed to, to walk there at a certain point. So it was more walking than, than biking. I've never witnessed it before. And to be very honest, I, I've never drove up that Wells Bay Road. We did run it up with, with the 10K by Shea. That's where we started then. But I'm still keen to do it once. Yeah, but it, you, you, you cannot click off because if you have click pedals, you will slide down. So it's it's very, it's just surviving, surviving and riding up that hill. All right. So we have to spend some time describing the course of the current triathlon because yeah. I have seen some videos of it on YouTube. It's pretty hilarious. And I also am familiar and probably my listeners are familiar. There used to be a triathlon on St. Croix. The 70.3 on St. Croix was very famous because it featured a climb called the Beast. And the Beast would pale in comparison to what 
Seba features right out of the water. You already alluded to what used to be the climb right out of the water. So let's let's start with the swim. Where where do you swim for the Seba triathlon? Well, we we start in the harbor. So usually, what we do we 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 take a take a line that that they use for fishing as well, and then we just keep that above the water. So all the participants they will. Yeah, they will go under underneath the line or actually behind it, of course. It sits in the water first, and then we just count down. So three, two, one. And then usually Tim was here, and Tim was a very special guy because at almost every event, he would he would blow on a conch shell. And I've, I don't know if you've seen the conch shells, but that makes a beautiful sound. It's just an iconic sound. And with all these events, I always asked him, and, and he was also asked in the years before, so before of course, to 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 be there at at an event and just give the start sign because that was just yeah very very special and he used to live here he, he doesn't live here anymore and then every morning at 6 a.m he would he would make that same noise that was just tradition every single morning he would do that so but yeah so so that was that was the start sign then we would so basically yeah. if anybody's listening there's an opening if you can blow a conch shell there they need someone in Sabo. Okay. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, yeah. go ahead yeah so then then you swim you swim alongside the the big pier and then what we do you take a take a left and that's immediately where you will be swimming in the open water you will see some waves we put a buoy out i'm not sure how far away that is the total round is still between 800 and 900 meters so there's one smaller buoy and then we have one yellow buoy i'm not sure if you've seen it while going on a boat going out on a dive trip or something the yellow buoy so you go around that yellow buoy and then there are a couple of boats always stationed there so it's either a boat or a buoy or a dinghy that's stationed there you go around those three buoys and then you're actually going over some nice coral reefs there on on the side in which you might see a turtle you might see a shark and that that is also pretty amazing if you if you see that while swimming during a during a triathlon It, it makes you forget like all the effort that you're putting in right now and how exhausted you already are before even going up on the bike well you you, you swim back and then there's there's a ramp that you might have seen as well the slippery ramp it is in which you yeah, will need to climb out fortunately there's a, there's a railing on the side that you can grab onto to go out of the water and basically what we always say here is that the, the even the swimming here at seba the seba triathlon is is uphill it is there there are some some athletes triathletes from St. Maarten. They they come over. They try to come over like every every year. Gregory Pigeon. I'm not sure if you are familiar with that name. And he if he's there, he's usually the one that's on stage for sure. And he said once that wow, I've never I think it was two years ago, he said, I've never experienced these waves before. I mean, I knew that this swim was already tough. It's always uphill, but this is really, really uphill. So that was that was fun to see because you you go out of the out of the pier and people try to take a left, but the current is just get, pulling them to the right. They're pulling them to the right, to the right, to the right. And you see them struggling and they have to make that extra curve there and the extra meters to go around that buoy because that's that's the course, of course. So it's that was that was one time that I couldn't join because I had twisted my ankle. But it was very much fun to see how they were struggling with that current. Yeah, it was a very challenging swim. 
you got to love when the race director is enjoying watching the the participants struggle as much as they were. So exactly. a, a challenging open water swim in the ocean and between 800 and 900 meters, and we get out and into transition. And as we mentioned, all the roads in Seba pretty much go up. So what greets the triathletes once they've made the switch from swim and onto their bikes immediately? What do they have to face? Yeah, immediately. That's like, that is a, a, a very steep hill, a very steep hill. Everybody that is very anxious while they if you arrive on Seba, you can arrive by boat or you can arrive by by plane, of course. And if you arrive by boat and you go up with a taxi, you're all, you're already like, wow, that that did, this car is 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 able to go up this hill. It's 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 pretty insane, and and you have to bike that. And you, well, if you're a very very good athlete, you you might be able to. No, no, you have to you have to go in some curves. You have to do a zigzag on the on the road. It's it's just not possible. And the thing there also, and that is throughout the whole of Seba, rocks are just coming down sometimes. And they can be small rocks, they can be bigger rocks as well. We try to clean everything out as much as possible, of course. But when you're driving when you're riding there on your bike, you you are exhausted from the swimming and from that hill that you're currently challenging. And then you have to look out for for the stones as well. You have to go around them and and don't hit the sides. And that's pretty pretty steep. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're making it sound very inviting. Yeah, and I, it is. by my by my guess, that climb at well, the sign says twenty three percent. You think it's steeper, and that to me looked like it was about a kilometer until you get to the bottom, which is <laughs> the bottom, which is the name of the town, which is at the top of the hill. I guesstimated it was about a kilometer to get to that. And then yeah. how, how, how long is the bike course in total? The bike course in total is around seven kilometers. Yeah. And within that seven kilometers, you have around, I think also seven or eight, 800 meters climb. So very significant. Yeah. yeah. And where does it end? Does it end in windward side? No, it goes a bit further, actually. So you st- you have one road, the mountain road, it's called. That's also one kilometer long. And I'm not sure about how many incline that is, but it is still, still spicy. Yeah, because you think in windward side, you have like a little bit of a flat, flat area. You go up and down a little bit, so you can make some, some speed. But then when you go up on mountain road, it is all climbing again. And that's the last last bit before you go into the into the running area, into the running section. Yeah. So those cyclists who have survived <laughs> will now <laughs> reach the end of their seven kilometer run and have to transition to running. And what what are they what are they met with on the run? Yeah, so the run is and that's what I'm actually very happy about, is that it's all it's all in nature. There's the last, the last part is on, on concrete to, while you are going towards uh, busy B, but most of it, it's just all in nature. It's on, on the trails on the national park here on Seban and it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. There are some curves in there. It's slippery as well. So it's really challenging. You really have to have good trail shoes. That's what I would always recommend people uh, wearing when it's dry is it's, it's okay, but when it's wet, it, it can be very, very slippery. Yeah. And you pass Eco Lodge. Yeah. And you just you just go around around the peak. That's actually what the what the route is doing. Yeah. And how long is the run? 
It's also around eight kilometers. Yeah. So first what you do, you pass the bottom on the bike, then you go to the top of mountain roads, you you run through the through the trails, and then you end up. Oh, that's also a good thing to mention because there's one part where we actually have ropes as well. I'm not sure if you if you, that you've done that as well, but there's the bottom mountain trail, and there's a part there that is so slippery. It is it's like sand and like tiny little stones. And there are yeah a few ropes on the side of the of the trail that you can grab a hold on if you want to. Some will, some won't. But it's always very challenging because you you want to go as fast as possible, right? If it's a race, but you also don't want to slip out and just yeah fall somewhere to the side. So that is yeah you have to be cautious about that. And how many participants brave this every year? How many did we have last year? I think basically that is between, uh, let's say around a hundred, let's say around hundred. And that is also including like teams then. Yeah. yeah. And and how long does it take the average person to finish this race? That is a very good question. I, I would say around two hours. Yeah. Maybe a okay. bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And the road the road that you're riding on, like you said, you have to do that kind of paperboy route kind of thing where you're going back and forth because it's so steep. Is the road closed to traffic during the race? There are traffic controllers. Yeah, we cannot close the, the road completely, but there are traffic controllers and they are aware of the fact that there is a race going on. So yeah, that always helps. So they just get a they just get a notice that that it's that's being held. So yeah. Well, and there's also like, yeah. After describing this race, I know that there are going to be many of my listeners thinking to themselves, holy crap, no way. But there are going to be a few who are thinking, oh my gosh, I need to know more about this. So yeah. <laughs> I'll put a link, yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes, but where can people go to find out more about the Sabre Triathlon? What website? So there's there's no website. There's a, there's a Facebook page. So for the Sabre Triathlon, you would go to Sabre Triathlon. That's it on, on Facebook. Pretty easy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Pretty right. easy. Yeah. Now I know you also do other events. Are they yeah. all as crazy as the triathlon? Well, the busy B 5k is pretty low entry. And I thought there had to be an event that is low entry for all the local people also to participate. So if you want to, if you want to walk, it's pretty challenging here to do a certain hike. So why not make a 5k that you can walk or you can run? They have the option to do a two and a half K or uh, do twice the same uh, round and make it 5K. And that goes through the bottom, actually. So, you know, you've, you've been to the bottom. There's a piece of Wells Bay Road that has a little bit of an incline. And on the way back, of course, it goes down a bit. Relatively flat. That's always what we say. But also a very nice, very nice event. Yeah. And you mentioned the Shea, the 10K by Shea, which starts at that. Uh, bay wells bay yeah so that means yeah. it has to go up that very steep road so that must Correct. be a very challenging 10k yeah that is a challenging 10k it was also challenging to get that 10k here on seba because it's just you don't have that many roads so what we what we did we went from from wells bay all the way to the top in the in, in the bottom that's around two and a half k if you're if you're in the bottom then you made an s curve through the bottom 
went up to St. John's. In St. John's, there's the more or less 5K mark. Then from St. John's, you actually go down. There's a steep hill that's going down. Then you go up again towards Wells Bay, towards, sorry, Windward Side. And in Windward Side, just before you hit the mountain road, it's a seven and a half K marker. You go a little bit further towards Hell's Gate, turn around there at the bus stop, and then you go up to the mountain road and it ends at the top of mountain road. So that's also basically a lot of uphill, a lot of uphill. Yeah, that's incredible. I, 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 listening, I know the landmarks that Joachim is uh, referring to and the amount of elevation and the steepness of the elevation gain is very serious. With all of the up and down and, and just all of the steep terrain, I know that you and, and some fellow athletes are training for the Panama 70.3, which has no elevation. It's a very flat race. <laughs> How how do you train for a race like that in Seba? There's no public pool. You have no flat terrain to do any kind of long runs or long bikes on. No gym that I could see. How do you how do you make it work? Well, Jeff, I'm open to, to suggestions. So if you have if you have an idea, then please please let me know. Well, the thing is, is that we a lot of well, actually, everybody that goes to the Panama for sure, uh, but, but more athletes as well because we're training for the. Um, uh, also for the Olympic distance that's going to be held in on Sint Maarten. Yeah, it's it's only riding uphill, and if you don't go uphill, you go downhill. But then you're actually not biking, right? So we bought an indoor trainer, and and that's where we use Swift on, or we just do it with a watching a Netflix episode or anything, and then we well we do our training on there. Treadmill still one of the things that I'm considering uh, maybe purchasing or going to the gym here and using that treadmill because you have to run for a very long, long time. And if you do the same lab like eight times after each other, then I'm not sure if that's going to be a lot of fun. But the swimming here is beautiful. I mean, we have we have the whole island, so we can, we can do one leg around from Cove towards Fort Bay, for instance. That's what we swam once. It's a five five point five kilometer swim. Those are the, we we can do that as a training as well. So yeah, we try to stay on the road as well. But yeah, you have a training plan and you have to stick to that as well sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt the electronic trainers and Zwift and the other platforms that are out there have revolutionized the ability to train no matter where you are. And that clearly is the way that you can get the biking done. It's just a shame yeah. that you live on such a beautiful island and you're probably in Zwift riding on Watopia or one of the other islands that they ride on. And uh, there you are living on such a beautiful place. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that that clearly is the way to get at least the biking done. And a treadmill would also have to be part of the run plan. It just have to be. What does the future hold for your event company? Have you considered doing events on different islands? Have you considered uh, doing additional kinds of events uh, on Seba? Yeah, I have. I have con considered that the BCB 5K. I was thinking, like, is it, isn't that deployable on different islands as well, and make the BCB 5K and go to Stasia, Cinestasis, or go maybe to Saint Martin and do a 5K there? I know a couple of event organizers there too. So definitely, that came up to mind. There's there's one big thing that I would love to do. I'm not going to say that much, but what I will tell you is. 
you know, Tour de France, right? Why don't we make something like a Tour de Caribe? I think that would be that would be perfect. That would be perfect to do. It's gonna be that's gonna be a very nice, very nice event. That's what I think. Yeah. But then you have to get so that's the important thing, right? There, there's so many different islands, and they have their different structures in in organizing events, and some take longer, some some don't. It can be very challenging to work together with all those different parties. But um, we're definitely going to try. Yeah, and I've usually bring my bike when I travel down there. And I've been to Bonaire a couple of times and brought my bike there. And I know that Bonaire had a biking event. Uh, I missed it when I was there, but I, I would ride my bike around Bonaire all the time. It's a great place to ride. Very windy, but very, uh, <laughs> yeah, very yeah. enjoyable all the same. Yeah. And when I think about that, I mean, definitely next time I come to Seba, I'm bringing my bike because I want to try those hills. I will I'll have to change the gearing on my my rear wheel, but <laughs> I definitely want to try those hills. And I, I think Tour de Carry would be a, an amazing idea. That would be a great tour experience for people to go and ride some of these islands and ride some of those hills. St. Martin, also a beautiful island to ride yeah. with also some yeah, challenging beautiful. hills. Yeah, 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 really. Uh, I think that's a wonderful idea. St. Kitts is is on my my radar as a place to go, so I definitely want to. Very visit. nice. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a great conversation. I look forward to yeah, one day myself getting back to Seba and hopefully being able to participate in that triathlon or at least one of the running events. And we will convene on the the finish line to to share our stories of the day. <laughs> Thanks yeah. again for uh, joining me on the podcast. It's been a real uh, pleasure having this conversation. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time. And that's it for another episode. The TriDoc Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, along with my interns. I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? No relation. I'm, uh... I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the, the TriDoc. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode, or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com, or join the private Tridoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook, and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit try.coaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the TriDark Podcast Facebook page, TriDark Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDark Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121 and train hard, train healthy.